Welcome to the podcast of the Consortium for History of Science, Technology, and Medicine. I'm Bob Akashrafi. We're recording this episode on April 20th, 2020, in the midst of the coronavirus epidemic. Joining us is Betty Smokovitis, who is Professor of Zoology and History at the University of Florida. Betty studies the history, philosophy, and sociology of the modern biological sciences. Thank you for joining us, Betty. Thank you. At this point, we know a great deal about the history of infectious disease. We can draw not only on the usual conventional historical records, such as diaries, eyewitness testimonials, and correspondence, but also medical records, statistical data, archaeological evidence, and even use newer techniques such as genomic analysis. We also know a great deal about the biology of microbial life, its stunning diversity, and the complex processes of evolution grounded in the genetics of mutation and recombination, which give microbes a terrifying ability to adapt to and exploit new bodies and new environments. If we bring history and biology together, creative yet carefully, we may gain not only a better understanding of pandemics like COVID-19, but also design more effective tools for management and control. So what is it exactly that we have learned about the history of infectious disease that may help us out at the moment? Firstly, the history of infectious disease is long, very, very long, and appeared when we first became human and domesticated animals for our use. Zoonotic diseases or diseases caused by microbes that jump from animal host to humans and then spread from human to human, like COVID-19, are really nothing new. Microbes that jump hosts in this way take advantage of human sociality and our tendency to settlement and urbanization, which is often accompanied by environmental disruption, large-scale alterations in the land. I'm referring here not just to the felling of forests, but also to the building of irrigation systems that accompany agricultural practices needed to sustain larger population. These can also give rise to ecological contexts ripe for disease. One point that I think needs underscoring. Infectious disease is social by definition. It takes more than one. It thrives on human interactions and codependencies, exploiting a basic human need to be with one another. We are social animals, after all. The same long historical record, furthermore, can tell us that epidemics come in waves. Sometimes they seem to come out of nowhere, burn their way through a population, and then vanish forever, while at other times they recur, bringing dread and suffering with each outbreak as they move along from population to population. In the long history of infectious disease, we can see successive emergence of new pathogens, one replacing another, sometimes like a series of overlapping waves, taking advantage of changing social practices, like sanitation, or lack thereof, animal-human relations, population density, behavioral habits, sexuality, and travel. Again, all factors related to us. Human social practices that have huge ecological and evolutionary consequences. We can see, for example, infectious diseases like Hansen's disease, historically known as leprosy, a debilitating, disfiguring, and socially stigmatizing illness that dominated antiquity and the Middle Ages, 
and that then became eclipsed by the sudden appearance of the Black Death, or bubonic plague, which was related to travel and the lowly flea in the 14th century. It led to the loss of anywhere from 75 to 200 million people in Eurasia and North Africa, and led to one of the greatest social and political transformations the world has known, from inheritance structures to the lineages of kings and queens, to fashion, art, and music, and even to changes in the sense of time. The Black Death left its indelible mark. We see diseases of contact, like smallpox, starting in the late 14th and early 15th centuries, associated with European colonization and imperialism. Smallpox devastated the indigenous populations of the Americas and Polynesia, making them easier to colonize. And diseases that were sexually transmitted, like syphilis, ripped its way through Europe at about the same time. We see the appearance of diseases associated with emerging global commerce, trade, and travel, diseases associated with slavery and the forced transfer of human labor, often associated with tropics or warmer climates, in insect vectors, as in malaria and yellow fever. In the late 18th century, Following a period of urbanization and industrialization, diseases associated with population growth and crowding, like cholera, emerged. It was associated with poor sanitation, contaminated drinking water, and food. Its sudden onset and its degrading bodily symptoms terrified the masses who had limited access to clean water and to food. It precipitated political revolutions, and ended up shaping the political landscape of the 19th century. And we see diseases like tuberculosis, which were age-old, emerging to take advantage of people living in the same industrial context. Crowded, polluted environments lacking proper ventilation with malnourished populations. Dislocation, imprisonment, and the hardships associated with war, furthermore, led to the emergence of diseases like typhus, a rickettsial disease carried by body lice, which made its home on unwashed clothing. The defeat of Napoleon's great army and its celebrated retreat from Moscow in 1812 was due just as much to the body louse as it was to the military genius of General Kutuzov. And it was because of typhus that Anne Frank and others lost their lives in the concentration and prison camps of the Second World War. Finally, the so-called Spanish flu of 1918, which is thought to have had avian origins, was dispersed by troop movements in the wake of the Great War. A respiratory illness, eerily reminiscent of COVID-19, took hold on the human population of Earth, leading to the estimated loss of some 50 million people worldwide. Statistical records, which are abundant and preserved in archives tracking the spread of Spanish flu and efforts to mitigate it then, are now guiding COVID-19 mitigation efforts now. Scientists, epidemiologists, are now combing historical archives. 
Though the establishment of the germ theory of disease in the late 19th century and the public hygiene movement led to notable success, new epidemics surprisingly continued to appear in the 20th century, like polio, which struck in even the most sanitary of environments and in prosperous nations. Though the middle decades of the 20th century began to see the beginnings of the eradication of some infectious diseases through aggressive vaccination efforts and effective treatment through a growing arsenal of antibiotics, the second half of the 20th century also began to see disturbing trends as some microbes developed antibiotic resistance and entirely new unexpected pathogens emerged, thanks in part to the devastating loss of biodiversity, our proximity to wildlife, rainforest destruction, and to increasing travel on a global scale. The appearance of AIDS in the early 1980s signaled that a new and dangerous chapter in the long history of infectious disease had been opened. Yet another zoonotic disease, it caused untold terror and stigmatized smaller communities the virus seemed to attack all over the world. Since then, we've seen a veritable bestiary of microbes emerge that newly threaten us. Marburg and Ebola, new hemorrhagic fevers, followed by new strains of influenza. And in 2006, SARS followed in 2012 by MERS, both caused by coronaviruses resembling the virus of COVID-19 with zoonotic origins. Pathogens emerge with staggering frequency, forming a successive series of biological hurricanes unleashed by the natural world, usually, again, in response to changing social practices and their ecological consequences. What we eat, whether that be meat from industrial farming, with its crowded containment of poultry or hog that gave rise to avian flu and swine flu, respectively, or the wildlife markets in China that gave rise to the coronavirus of SARS or COVID-19, created an ecological setting that is ripe for the emergence of novel pathogens. And as we fell rainforests and turn them into feedlots as we lose the biodiversity of the planet, we may expect to see more and more of these emerging pathogens come for us. Epidemics in history thus come in waves as a result of changing social practices, as a kind of ecological and evolutionary response, and each leave behind a trail of devastation. Socially, in the long history of infectious disease, we see disquietingly common patterns, periods of panic, of suffering and loss. We see scapegoating and blaming, usually targeting minorities or people different from us. And we see social upheaval, the kind of extreme damage that tears at the fabric of even the most civil societies, and often on a global scale. Microbes do not respect borders or national boundaries or even the rich or the poor. They can be the great levelers colonizing our bodies and turning us into microbial meat. Or they can pick and choose 
the most vulnerable amongst us, the poor, the marginal, the elderly, the very young, and the weak. In this way, COVID-19 infects us all. It itself does not discriminate. But our ability to isolate ourselves, to receive proper treatment, and, with, and to withstand the viral assault is, very sadly, a function of class, race, and gender, as well as age, especially in the United States of America. Epidemics do share common patterns, but they are also distinct, emerging as they do in different historical and cultural contexts. Each leaves behind a kind of indelible fingerprint, a signature, if you will, that becomes inscribed in the collective memory. Every epidemic is cruel, but each in its own way, to paraphrase Tolstoy. And whatever we do after the fact to come to terms with them, to fight them as we're encountering them, or to adapt, the microbes will eventually catch up with us. It is a kind of evolutionary arms race. That old margarine commercial with the catchy jingle from the 1970s rings true. It's not nice to fool Mother Nature. I leave you with this as a stern reminder that we aren't as smart as we think and that we have to rethink what we eat, how we live, how we travel, and to do everything we can to preserve what is left of the biodiversity of the planet. We've taken the stunning diversity of life and reduced it, tragically, to a kind of monoculture on a global scale a nearly pure cultivated crop of human bodies and our domesticated animals. Is it now any surprise that some virus, some opportunistic pathogen, is able to take advantage of what is available, namely us, microbial meat? This has been a podcast from the Consortium for History of Science, Technology, and Medicine, and I'm Jessica Linker, a program coordinator at the Consortium. You can find other podcasts, video lectures, archival spotlights, as well as opportunities to connect to our community of scholars at chstm.org. This podcast is made possible with the generous support of the Pew Charitable Trusts, the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation, and the Rita Allen Foundation.